I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Matthew chapter 9, as we look at verses 9 through 17. When sick people reject their doctor. I mean, you know, it's one thing to be sick, continue to be sick, get worse, try all your remedies, continue to uh, digress instead of progressing, and refuse to go to the doctor. Keep on telling yourselves, I'm okay, I'm okay. And it goes on for some time, and your condition worsens. And you keep on telling yourself you're okay. Well, spiritually speaking, that's the picture that we have of these who are opposing Jesus. This is a story that comes after the Sermon on the Mount. This is after Jesus had begun his public ministry. This is after those who had heard him teach say he teaches like are not like the scribes and the Pharisees for he teaches with authority. He spoke with authority like no other. He demonstrated his power and authority by healing the sick and casting out demons. He spoke as only God could speak. Matter of fact, only God could say concerning Scripture, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. He spoke with such authority that they recognized him as being unique. Not understanding fully, but recognizing him as being unique. And now we come to this story right after the story of him healing the lame, the paralyzed, the paralytic, but before he healed the paralytic, what did he say? He said, your sins are forgiven. Only God has that kind of authority. And so he was letting them know that he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Now we come to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. And we read, and as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he said, well, wait until I collect my money and then I'll get up and we'll have some meal or some time together. No, he said, he rose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, he even pitched a party for him. He was excited about what happened. Behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax gatherers and the sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the day will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth 
on an old garment, but the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do men put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to this passage, we just ask for our minds and our hearts to be in tune with you and your spirit. We pray that you will reveal to us, each and every individual, as we individually need different things this morning, as we need for you to speak to us in different ways. I pray that you will do that. I pray that we will be open to that. And I pray that we will rejoice in leaving because we've allowed that to happen. Help us, Lord, for this can only come about by your grace. And we pray that its sufficiency will be felt in this service and experience today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this passage, we see that there is a, another healing that is going to take place, or that is taking place as we read and this is the healing of Matthew. Not the healing of the physical aspect, but the healing of the spiritual. Just like with the man before, the paralytic, when he said, your sins are forgiven. So we come to this, first, or this passage, and first of all, we want to look at the call of God. That's so very important. The call of God in verse 9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now let's look at the characters involved here. First of all, let's look at the main character. Of course, the one that makes it all possible, and that is Jesus. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man. I want us to notice something very important about that. Very, very important on our part. When Jesus passed by, what does it say? He noticed what? A man. But you know, so often when we pass by people, what do we notice? Whether the person has a beard or not. Whether the person's hair is long or not. Whether the person what kind of clothes they're wearing, whether the person speaks a certain way, what color of skin a lot of times, what accent they have. Are they wearing diamonds? Are they well-dressed? What are they driving? Where are they living? We look at things about the person so often. We don't look at the person. How many times do we just think, stop and notice? I wonder if that person is saved or not. I wonder if that person knows Jesus or not. I wonder if that person is going to heaven or not. I wonder what that person is going through. Jesus noticed the man. Jesus sees the real man. The man in need of salvation. He sees the man 
who is in need of fellowship with him. We so often see the things about men and not the men. Let's look at Matthew. Here was a man much like the one that was mentioned just earlier that I talked about, the paralytic. He needed his sins forgiven. You see, Matthew was a sinner, just like all of us, and he needed his sins forgiven. He was a Jew, a tax collector, but he was considered a publican, if you will. He was hated, particularly in Palestine, and they, you know, they were known for accumulating fortunes at the expense of their fellow countrymen and working for those who had oppressed them, the country that had oppressed them. So Matthew, first of all, was, a, was politically unacceptable. As a tax collector, he was one who had collaborated with the opposing authorities. They were primarily three taxes during that time, that day and time during which that was imposed on the Jews. First of all, the ground tax. And as we look at it, we see that that's to deal with the fruit and the uh, grain. And they were taxed for both of these. And then we, uh, we look at the uh, income tax. We know about the income tax, don't we? We hate that time of the year. Well, they were taxed for that. But they were not only taxed for that, they were taxed for a poll tax. And that was on all males between the age of 14 to 65. And, uh, you know, uh, in, in that position, you, you were taxed for, uh, you know, uh, traveling. And so, in addition, the collectors grew rich from overcharging on many of these taxes. Now, Matthew not only was politically an outcast, but he was also religiously unaccepted or unacceptable. Jewish law barred him from the, uh, you know, all tax collectors from the synagogue services on the basis of Leviticus uh, 25, which required orthodox Jews to cut off anyone who was guilty of prostituting himself to Moloch. So they considered tax collectors that, that they were not even allowed to even witness in a court of law. So Matthew was also religiously unacceptable, but he was also socially unacceptable. You see, the orthodox Jew uh, were, they were forbidden to, uh, to go on a journey with them, to do any business with them, and to receive anything from them or give them anything. They weren't to be guests or have them as guests in their house. So he was unacceptable before other Jews. He was a sinner, a publican, considered by the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Well, what What's the situation here? What, you know, his calling? What, what's all involved there? Well, let's just look at the content of the calling. Matthew was engaged in his ordinary business when the call from the Lord came. McLaren 
a writer of old comments, there is no religion of life so foul, so mean, so despicable in men's eyes, but the quickening voice will enter there. In other words, the Lord, there's no one that's so great a sinner that God did not die for. God knows that, that he, you know, our condition, he knows uh, our position before him, and we're all sinners who fall short of God's grace. Now, we may categorize sins, and we may put certain sins worse than others, and their consequences definitely are, but sin is sin before God. And aren't you glad that he did not put a limit or put a restriction on any of the sins. You see, we do not need to be in the temples. We don't need to be in the sanctuaries or, uh, or carry on any sacred task in order to hear about the Word of God and the need that we're in and the forgiveness that we can have. You know, it, it, he doesn't just come to religious folks. He doesn't just come to people who have been brought up in Christian families. He comes to all and for all. Matthew was not unacceptable to Jesus. What may be considered unacceptable to us is not to God, perhaps. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Matthew did exactly what the paralyzed man did and followed Jesus. He did what he said the Lord called him to do. Now the sovereign call that came to Matthew was very simple. It's not complex. We make it complex at times. If you pray this prayer and you pray it exactly this way and if you, you quote it after me and, and you just pray it after me, but make sure you pray every one of these that I'm a sinner, that I need to be saved and all of this, then you'll be saved. Or if you pray that prayer and then you come and you fill out a card, fill it out correctly now, give us all the information, and make sure that after that you're baptized, then you're saved. It is coming with a repentant heart, realizing that you're a sinner and that Christ is the Savior. Simple as that. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of words, lest any of us should boast. We come, and we don't come because of its complexity, but because of its simplicity. The tense of the verb is in present, so it's suggesting a continuing. It's not a momentary thing. People, if you've been saved, that's just the beginning. It's not, okay, I'm saved and I quit. Or I go and do my thing or I do whatever I want to or, or you know, uh, I'll come to church on Sunday and that's it. No. It's a lifetime event. It's a lifetime journey. It's not just coming to be saved and knowing that you've got a ticket to heaven and that's all there is. It also suggests that it's not a plea or a suggestion, but it's a command by the Lord. He doesn't say, well, please come if you feel like it. Please come if it's not inconvenient for you. 
please come if, if you know, uh, if it's the right timing for you. I don't want to make it where it's, you know, interfering with your other activities. When Jesus is dealing with us, we need to come. I mean, that's when we need to come. Because we don't, just because we pray a prayer, we're not saved. Just because we come and we're baptized doesn't mean that we're saved. It better be the moving of the Holy Spirit. And when the moving of the Holy Spirit comes and he deals with your heart and life, you better respond. Because the more you reject him, the harder your heart becomes. And so it is a command. He's, and you know, he doesn't beg us to come. He just says, come. In other words, you need to come. He doesn't stand out there and just beg and beg and beg. Now I know sometimes altar calls can go on and on and on. Trying to get somebody down front. But if the Spirit is working and the people respond, then it will happen. That's it. Now if the Lord is having us to carry that on, then that's one thing. But just to get response is another thing for our points and our notches on our belt. One other thing about the call. It is a call, and this is so very important, to follow me, Jesus says. Did you recognize that? Follow me. The call from the Lord is not a call to follow a teaching of any sort a church of any sort, its programs, nor any kind of movement. It is a call to follow him. It is a call to follow a person. How many of us have been out visiting? And you've heard the person, or maybe you've done it. I've done it before. You start bragging, you can't help, but you know, maybe brag about a certain uh, section in your church that's really doing well and so you want to emphasize that and the whole time of visitation is primarily spent emphasizing what we have for you your children your senior adults or your teenagers and very little is talked about Jesus the person that we're we're there for to begin with He's the one that's going to change them. And matter of fact, he's the one that's going to bring them and keep them there if they are moved and led by the Lord. It's not going to be some program because some program's going to change or it, it may dissolve or it may get weaker. It may look different or it may not please that person and the five senses of that person that they're looking at that time. But I want to tell you, Jesus will not grow weaker and he will not change. And if they're in a relationship with the Lord, they're going to grow stronger and be more excited about the Lord. Now, I'm not against any of these other things and we can talk about them, but we better make sure that it's the Spirit of God 
that's leading us, and we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ in all of this. He's the one who is to be honored and glorified. He's the one who's to be talked about. He's the one who, if he's lifted up, will draw men unto him. Let's look at the results. In verse 9, he arose and followed him. He got up and followed Jesus, didn't he? Okay, well, there it is. An inactive faith is no faith at all. Saving faith shows in one's action. This means it is not to stop when you make that profession of faith. It's to continue on. If it's genuine faith, it will continue on, I believe. Now, I know that people, as we call in the Baptist realm, used to call backslide. I know there's periods of time when, when there is a moving in that second chair. But I want to tell you, if you're genuinely saved, the Spirit of God will be working on your heart and your life to move you back into that first chair. Look at uh, Matthew and, and uh, James, Peter, and John. You know, they, what happened there? Look at them in reference to, uh, uh, well, uh, Andrew, James, and John, and Peter. Look in reference to them as, as compared to Matthew. What did they give up and what did Matthew give up? You see, they gave up a profession that Peter even went back to and the other disciples followed him at the end shortly. But they could always go back to fishing, couldn't they? Matthew, he could not go back. He burned all bridges when he left. I mean, they wouldn't have him back. And so... Some things, you know, are best done slowly, but obedience to Christ's sovereign call is not one of those things. Prompt and complete obedience is a proper response. As the psalmist said in Psalm 119.60, I made haste and delayed not to keep your commandments. I made haste and delayed not. Are we doing that with the Lord today? When God is calling us out, when God is offering that call for us to do things, are we just waiting around? Are we just allowing someone else to do it? Or are we jumping in there and doing it? Then let's look at the compassion. The compassion of God. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in the house. Behold, many tax gatherers, and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax gatherers and sinners? But when, we, but when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire passion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Look at Matthew's response. Luke, if you turn over to Luke, it, it explains. I mean, it gives a good description. He makes it plain that the feast was one called by Matthew himself. He was excited about what had happened to him. He had met the Lord. And so he wanted to celebrate this conversion type of experience, this calling. The guest of honor, of course, was the Lord. And the publicans and other sinners were invited. He wanted them to hear him. 
Man, are we that excited about our conversion? Do we want other people to hear about Jesus? Do we bring them? Do we talk to them during the week? God has saved me. God has changed me. Let me tell you what he's doing in my life. And do we invite them or bring them to church with us? It's obvious that the former tax collector did not feel sad over leaving his well-paid job business to follow the Lord. In other words, he was willing to give up everything. His feelings are just the opposite. He enjoyed this call. He was excited about it. But then we get the opposition's response. Isn't this amazing coming from the religious people? At the same time, people are bringing their friends to Jesus. Others are trying to keep people from them. We already saw the beginning of this opposition in the story of the healing of the paralytic. And the, uh, the teachers of law objected when Jesus forgave his sins. And they said, only God can do that. And they accused him of blasphemy. Now this opposition is claiming that Jesus is associating with tax collectors and sinners. That was an attack on his morals. The obvious invocation was that he is associated with the low types. And being associated with them, he must be like them. He must enjoy the things that they do. Their lifestyle. He must have the same lifestyle. So Jesus responds. Let's look at his response. But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire passion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The saying of Jesus, of course, is an illustration. It reveals a double guilt of the Pharisees. You see, this was a quotation from the Old Testament. An illustration was drawn from medicine. And he was telling them that it wasn't the healthy that needed a physician, a doctor, but the sick. And in Jesus' day, they had, they had doctors who called on them. They didn't go to some hospital. And so Jesus was drawing on the common pattern here by explaining that he was the doctor. He was the doctor, the great physician. And being a doctor, he was going to the sick in soul to help them. He had to go where they were. If Jesus went to the sick in soul, should we do any less? Because they're not going to come to us more than likely. We need to be out there talking to them. Sharing with them. Now he's not saying here too that the Pharisees were righteous. Or spiritually healthy. He was throwing their view of themselves back to them. Upon them. Basically Jesus was telling them that they being spiritual leaders... They're so righteous, why weren't they out with the sick of soul, the unclean, leading them to the Lord? Why weren't they doing that? You see, the answer of the Lord reveals the motive of his ministry. He was among them, not because he was like them, but because he was unlike them. It was simply his work to make them well. That's what he was telling them. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. 
How could he be the healer if he too were sick? The quotation that he uses from Hosea 6.6 is designed to bring conviction to the Pharisees. And this conviction is the fact that God is not satisfied with mere sacrifices. That is, with dead ritualistic service of God. If the Pharisees had possessed the mercy of God, they would have been interested in the sinners. Jesus challenged them to re-examine their actions by looking at Hosea 6.6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Hosea had been, in that passage, had been attacking the false, the formal religion of his day, saying that the people professed to follow God because they were going through the outward acts of religion, while actually their hearts were far from it. But don't we get in the same pattern today? If we're not careful, we can come, we can sing, we can be a part of the church, but our heart's not in it. And what does he say here? He says, it's not acceptable to God, that type of worship. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire passion and not sacrifice. And look at the word, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The word for indicates that when the Pharisees have learned the meaning of mercy, they will see the purpose of his ministry, his mission. It is not to call the righteous men, but sinners. Now they, as I said earlier, are not righteous men, but men, you know, that need the work of salvation like everybody else. He was just saying that, hey, you haven't seen what my call is for. You haven't seen yourself, basically. And it implies a call to repentance, to partake demands that we recognize that we are sinners. And then let's look at the third thing, the change in the ages of God. It says, then the uh, disciples of John came to him saying, why do we say, uh, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn so as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and worse tears result. Nor do men put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out. And the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. The conversation was initiated by the disciples of John the Baptist. And this could have occurred at a later time rather than Matthew's dinner. Whether in sequence or not, Matthew includes it here because it is thematic. It goes along with his theme. Example of charges that were being lodged against Jesus during his ministry. And it had to do with fasting here. And so they were saying, we fast and so do the Pharisees. Why don't you? And the story gained special uh, emphasis 
and interest here because of where it's placed. At the very time when Matthew, his friends, and Jesus were, uh, and his friends were, uh, you know, Matthew, his friends, and Jesus were feasting in Matthew's home. The Pharisees and, and the, uh, John the Baptist disciples were fasting. And they seemed to be very unhappy about this. And Jesus replied that he had come to his own as a bridegroom. Israel was a bride. It was a wedding. But they refused to come to it, to be a part of it. And he says, uh, I am bringing a, uh, you know, a new piece to you, a piece of new cloth or new wine. And anything as new as this simply cannot be imposed on the old forms. New cloth stitched to old cloth will tear. And when it tears or the new cloth uh, shrinks, the uh, new fermenting wine will burst old wineskins. So first of all, in this passage, Jesus is the bridegroom and is properly addressed as the king, with Israel being the bride. And he makes a claim of royalty here. But second of all, Jesus speaks of the bridegroom being taken from them, looking at the near future, talking about his death on the cross. And the taking away there is a separation that they take him away to the cross. It's not that he willingly uh, or he wants to go. He would desire some other way, but that's the way that it's got to be. And Isaiah 53, 8 speaks of uh, somewhat of this. And so the joy of the present must lead to violence. That's what he's talking about there. Now the hint fell on deaf ears though. And Jesus speaks of the incompatibility of the old and the new here. And the illustration of unshrunken cloth and wineskins reflect the, uh, uh, the reaction there of the chemicals and the cloth and uh, the, the new and the old and it just not working out. And Jesus is telling them that he had not come to reform their religion. That's what he's saying. I didn't come to reform something old. I came to fulfill it. This is a new covenant. Now he's not talking about doing away with uh, you know, the old and saying, hey, uh, there's nothing good in it. No, he's not saying that. He's talking probably more about the rabbinic uh, traditions than anything, but he's, he's saying that, hey, what I bring you is a new work, a work of the Redeemer where the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and you are saved by grace. No longer are you looking forward to me coming and having to go through these, these sacrifices in obedience and faith and trusting God in knowing that it will happen one day. I am here. And I'm about to go to the cross. And so I'm replacing them with the new age. The age of grace. The joy in Jesus Christ. Because the Savior is going to be with you. He's with you today and he'll be with you always to the ends of the earth. So they're rejoicing because I'm with them at this time. One day is coming though that they will be sad. For a short time. And that will be the cross. But by virtue of the cross. Christianity. Is, no, is not to be a fast. We look back on it. And we see it's a feast. 
Not a sob, but a song. A song of rejoicing. So what can we learn from this? Quite a bit. First of all, God's call is to a person. If you came and joined this church, you were confused at some time, you were emotionally involved, and all you did is sign a card or was baptized, then that's all you did. You've got to come to Jesus. It's a person. But coming to Jesus as a person means that your ministry, your life, is to that person. All the ministries and all the other things is just part of it. They are not to get the glory. I mean, they, you can talk about them with excitement, but make sure that God, you let them know that God's working in them. It's not because of them. It's because of God working in them and through them. God's call is a call of obedience. We need to respond to God's call. And with that call, it involves faith, trusting in Him. Not understanding everything all the time. And God's call is not a call of the past only, of one moment in time, but one of the present ongoing. Our life is to continue. With that calling. He's called us for a purpose. To serve him until he calls us home. And then we'll worship him forever. God's call demands total sacrifice. Matthew gave up everything. But he didn't lose anything. He gained everything. He gained eternity. He was joyful about that. We need to give everything to the Lord. When we come to the Lord, it's all. It's all. God, I'm giving you my all. You see, a lot of times, people are afraid to give up certain things. And by being afraid, they don't experience the joy of receiving everything. In Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father as we come to.